Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Voices of Chandler, the podcast. I'm your host, Melina Suniga, and I'm very excited about today's episode. We got the chance to talk to a local Chandler celebrity who lives out of state now, but I know his heart is still in Chandler, and more specifically, at Snedeker Skate Park. You might have heard of him or actually caught a glimpse of him if you watched the 2020 Tokyo Olympics as he was coaching skaters for Team USA because today we're talking to Andrew Nicholas and I am the Team USA men's coach for skateboarding. First, can you tell me just a little bit about your background and tell me about like the first time you picked up a skateboard and the first time you were at Snedeker? Let's see. I started skateboarding after, you know, Tony Hawk, the 900, the whole craze started happening. But all I ever had was a, like, you know, Toys R Us board or something my parents had bought me. And then, funny enough, uh, my grandmother, uh, she used to be a custodian at Chandler High. And when they were cleaning out the lockers, over the summer somebody had left us a pretty beat up skateboard in the locker but that was my first like real skateboard that the bearings worked everything worked really well so (laughs) i had that until i ended up getting one for christmas an actual board and then yeah i skated i've been skating since you know that was what 12 years old 11 years old and yeah now 32 so it's been a been a long time in the game tell me a little bit about your experiences at Snedeker how was that just the closest park to you and that's just how you got into skateboarding or what's the relationship well it started out I mean I've lived in Chandler so that was the closest one and and I had pretty strict parents so it wasn't like I got to go running around the state so when I did get to go anywhere it was Chandler the closest one so um but I just became comfortable with it and it's just such a legendary park it, it was one of the biggest parks in the country when it was first built and definitely one of the biggest free skate parks that wasn't really a thing when that park got built and arizona was pretty forward thinking when it came to that because most parks were always you know pay wear pads and everything the whole bit so it, it really pushed i think the rest of the country i would definitely say chandler and arizona as a whole was uh, pretty innovative in that but yeah i mean chandler was just an amazing place for me it was it's fun i know every inch of the park so it's it feels like home when i get to come back and skate it but it definitely you know for me i never thought of doing anything in skateboarding as a career i was just doing it to forever do it i mean if i wasn't in the position i'm in now i'd probably still be at chandler park <laughs> regardless of what <laughs> job i had so <laughs> it's uh it's definitely been just you know I mean, that's home. And I and I love, like, whenever I'm back in the state, I definitely make a point to go there every single night I'm here. And to the, you know, to even to the point where it upsets some family members and friends when I don't make time. But <laughs> they know where I'll be every night if I'm in Arizona. So That's awesome. They know where to find you. Yeah. So you just mentioned, like, you never thought that this would, like, turn into a career for you. Mm-hmm. When was that point when you were like, hey, like, I'm good enough? I can do this and how did that transition into the you that we see today well when i first even thought of it as a possibility to make money working in in that industry i was actually in in california on a trip and uh one of the owners of a of a big magazine and company my friend was living with them so i was like hey can i stay a night or two there i was staying at a camp woodward but they had ran out of space my brother was working there at the time so I was like, hey, you got to go. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go to L.A. So, But that owner wasn't real keen on having guests. 
And so when he came home, I was like, hey, he was complaining about things he had to get done. I was like, well, I can help you with those things, like, real easy. So I knocked out a bunch of stuff for him the week I was there, and he was so happy. And then I was going to leave to come back to Arizona. And sure enough, he was like, hey, where, where are you going? I'm like, uh, home. I don't live in California. And then on my way back to Arizona, I got a phone call offering me a job to be his personal assistant, somebody else who I'd never spoken to. So a week back in Arizona, and I got rid of everything I had and moved out to California to, to chase that. But even then, it was just a, um, you know, I was working as an assistant at a magazine and doing all these things, but it wasn't. The coaching thing really came along because Deshaun Jordan, um, another Chandler, previous resident, but his heart's still here. <laughs> <laughs> it's to, to a fault almost. But um, he and I were on the same sponsor at Young Kids, and he's a little younger than me, but he um, would always ask my help for competitions. Like, hey, what should I do? What tricks? What run? So I would help him with that. And, you know, he would win at the local level, then the little higher local level, then even higher. And every he would just keep winning and winning and going higher and higher to the point where it was like the biggest amateur contest in the country and in the world. And I planned it and he won. It got him to an event where it's like, hey, if you skate good here, they'll put you on this pro event. But he was still an amateur. And so him and another kid ended up making it in off of what I had planned for him and then another kid, Yuto, who ended up becoming friends with later down the road. But so he made it to that next level as an amateur and then he ended up winning an event on the pro tour as an amateur. So he was doing real well off of what I had planned, but it was just like, I'd done it since the beginning of time. It wasn't like I went and found him like, hey, I'm going to coach you or anything. So <laughs> it just kept naturally progressing. And then once we brought Yuto, a Japanese skater, along with us as a friend, and then he ended up, you know, skating with us all the time, moving in, and then I started working with him, and he started winning everything, too. That's when people took notice, and like, this is the best coach in the world, because there wasn't really skateboarding coaches as much, you know, so there, there is, there's like more of the little kid level, but not many that work with pros. I would say there's a handful of us that you could say are like legitimate coaches who work with professional skateboarders, so when they asked me to work for Team USA, you know, I would was definitely happy, but I never thought, you know, helping the kid plan runs was going to lead to that. <laughs> First of all, that's super exciting just to know that there are a handful of people and like you're one of them. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild that I got a good friend, Neil Mims, who does it as well and uh, on a professional level. He's actually Jagger Eaton's personal coach. So we're all, you know, we all work with somebody, but it's definitely becoming a thing that's uh, going to become more accepted. The term coach in skateboarding was a weird, fuzzy area because skateboarding is so core. But it's definitely with the right people leading the charge, it's going to become more acceptable. Because for me, it wasn't ever, like, I'm going to coach these kids, I'm going to do all that. So they really, like, the kids call me coach as a joke, all of them. But I think, like, it really makes sense when it's me versus, like, you know, random skate coach. Because some of those skate coaches at a skate park are pretty wild to watch work with little kids. You're like, maybe that person shouldn't be around little kids. But why is uh, it just? It's just like you know, they're they're pretty intense. Like okay. any coach you would see in any sport, and you're just like, and nowadays, you know, we don't handle coaching that same way. But in skateboarding, it's like the wild west. There's not figured out yet. So there's no <laughs> checks and balances with some crazy guy. <laughs> so it's definitely still interesting. But it's it's cool to be here at the forefront of what's going to be possible and what skateboarding coaching and everything else is going to look like in the future. Okay, so you bring up the coaching. You're one of the only pro skater coaches out there. Was Deshaun your first, the first person that you coached? Yeah, he was just, you know, at the time when I would help him plan stuff, we were both in competitions. Like, I was older, and he was in the younger divisions, so I was still skating him, but I quickly learned that that wasn't my forte. Like, I, I would do okay, but not like him. He was easily... I remember one contest in particular. He was doing so well in the middle of his run, 
and what we had planned, he started like giggling to himself. And there was already, he's a pretty built kid. And as of like, he was 13 or 14, parents were like, he's not 14. He's not 13. Because he was so good. <laughs> There's no way. He was so good. Like, he's not 14. And so I, I remember to pull him aside. Like, I'm like, hey, I know that was easy for you, but you cannot be laughing because these people are already stressing us. Like, you're not even of the right age. But he was just that ridiculously good. So. It was just easy to work with him because it was like, hey, do this. And he would just land it. And he was like, okay, <laughs> he made me look good. Yeah. Um, so, but it definitely got a lot more difficult as it went on and on to the bigger levels. Like he could still land things and stuff, but it's such, you know, it's for massive amounts of money. It's, you know, the pressure's on for qualifying for the Olympics. It's changed a lot of things where it's like you could be talented, but that mental game is really where it's at and and you know somebody like jerry and who's trained his whole life for it his mental game is really strong yuto horogome his mental game you know just being japanese and being really you know disciplined his mental game is strong so it's definitely that's the future of the sport i mean everyone's good anybody is good nowadays it's just more of who can really put aside the nerves and, and go to work so it's interesting for sure i saw that happening a lot with this Olympics definitely multiple athletes throughout multiple disciplines really took their mental health very seriously as you should can you talk a little bit about when you got started what the culture was like versus kind of what it is now did you have a coach when you got started (laughs) I mean for me you know I, I come from a different generation but I can appreciate what I came from like there is people you know, telling me, you know, you're doing it wrong. You're like, get out of the way and all that. And for me, it, it taught me how to respect and do things and operate in a different way. Obviously, I would never do that to a kid. Now I could teach him off of my example and it's way different, but it worked for me. I'm never going to turn around and say like, oh, that was horrible because <laughs> it wasn't. You know, I learned a lot. <laughs> but yeah, it was way different. A lot more, um, a lot more focused on the core aspect of skateboarding. And if you weren't core, you know, you weren't accepted. But I think there's a way to manage being still true to skateboarding and being accepting of opportunities like the Olympics or big sponsors and things like we shouldn't ever look down on someone because they're you know, trying to make a future for themselves. But that it happens a lot with music and different things. But skateboarding being almost an art, they, you know, there's definitely that attitude. But it's cool to be core, but I think it's cooler to never have to work a real job in your life. So <laughs> I'd much rather them set themselves up for retirement than, you know, keep it core. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, that's like, it's a hobby that you love turned into something you can make money off of, right? Yeah. So that's pretty freaking cool. 100%. So right now you're decked out in Olympic (laughs) team swag. So talk a little bit about that experience. First year skateboarding actually made it into the Olympics. Yeah, that was wild. Showing up, like, like I said earlier in the day, we didn't know what to expect. So we were having the time of our lives. Like you get to the room and the athletes had it even, mind you, I'm a coach. So the athletes had it even more, but we, you pull into your room and there's, you know, a bag full of gear that you can wear in the village the whole time. Random gifts, glasses, like expensive Oakley glasses, all these things. The athletes got Samsung phones and all kinds of like crazy things just waiting for them in the room. So that alone was wild for the skaters. Like, I mean, skateboarding sponsors really take care of the kids almost more than I would say any other sport. But I mean, just to be able to show up like that and, and even, you know, most of our athletes, I would say all of them, but one were not on on Nike and so but at the games you can only wear and do and represent certain brands and your brands that personally sponsor you have there's a blackout period 
that you can't represent them at all. There's exceptions with equipment and things, but you can't post on social about them or nothing. It's all Nike. So even the kids who weren't on Nike were pretty stoked to wear Nike all that week and everything. So it was a, that was a trip. And then obviously there's like a big, I guess, a mess hall for the food and just endless food 24 hours a day. And it was just such a wild, different place. And it's, I mean, when they say a village, it's a big big place it's like a bunch of buildings for like here's our usa building here's team china here's team great Britain. and then the smaller countries would mix in but i mean there was like 20 or 30 of those type of buildings just housing athletes it was a really crazy experience for sure that's awesome though and it's like a one in a lifetime experience hopefully not hopefully i go to a bunch <laughs> <more>. <laughs> but, uh, i will be stoked if that was my only one but no uh paris is around the corner now with obviously covid pushing things a year now it's only three years in between, which adds to the stress and the mental game already. Like, oh, here we go. They're talking about qualifiers in 2022. I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> For sure. So since it is the first year, I mean, no one really knows the behind the scenes that goes on to qualify for skateboarding in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that process? I think it's going to be an ever-changing one. But for this previous Olympics, it was supposed to be a two-season qualification it was going to I think it was like four contests in the first year with only certain, you know, your best finishes from your top two finishes of the four or five we had in the first year. And then it was going to be your top three or four from the next year. And it was going to be like seven or eight competitions around the world. We travel, you know, it's all international events with everybody there. It's not like you're qualifying only against Americans. You're there against everybody. So it was supposed to be a ton of events. But after COVID, they had to shrink things down to like, I think it was just the last two events of the year. Yeah, it was a contest in Iowa, uh, due to her. And then there was the world championships for street park, didn't even have a world championship. So it was just two events. So Jagger was kind of outside of that, you know, last spot and he needed to get fourth. And then Deshaun needed to do a little less good than that. And then another skater, Jamie Foy had to do not so well. And literally the stars in line for Jagger to make it. If, you know, Deshaun would just finish two spots higher, he would have made it versus Jack. So it really lined up for Jagger. And it was came down to the last trick in Rome. And he ended up landing a pretty difficult trick on his very last attempt. And he had injuries and everything he was dealing with. So it was, <laughs> it was definitely meant to be because <laughs> it's skateboarding. Could, anything little teeny goes wrong, you're totally missing the trick. So that amount of pressure was so much more than even the pressure he had to deal with at the Olympics. And then because of his injuries, he ended up like at the Olympics kind of just doing what he had done in Rome, which was still good enough for a bronze medal. So he did, he did really well. We were really proud of him. I can't wait to see him 100% healthy at the next one. He's, he's one of those that's really just focused on, you know, this aspect of skateboarding. His family's really excited about Olympics. They're come from a gymnastics uh, background. So, He'll have confidence he'll be there again. But I think the other two spots, you know, Nigel, the number one in the world before the event happened, ended up in seventh. Talk about, you know, that mental game. And everyone's like, Nigel's going to win. Nigel's going to win. You know, between the heat and, and all the pressure, it got to him. But I would say that, you know, three years from now isn't too far. I think he's a little older, like 26, compared to the other guys that are in their early 20s. But he'll still be 29. He'll be fine for Paris. I think he'll make it. So, But it's definitely interesting. Like, earlier in the day, Deshaun was, I think, he's number 10 or 11 in the world. And they take the top 20, but only three from each country. The American race is really tight to make that team, the Olympic team. Our national team's a little bigger. But it's a pretty wild one. I hope to, they change it to accommodate more of the best in the world you know maybe one more spot test would be nice but we'll see as right now the 
qualification process is stressful for all these guys. But it's, it's up to you if you want to do it. There's so many ways in skateboarding to make a career. It's not the Olympics is a brand new way to make a career, but skateboarding is ever-changing. So we'll see what's important to brands going into the future. Talking about ever-changing. So when you first got started, obviously this is the first year that skateboarding is in the Olympics. But when you first got started, did you ever imagine that 20-plus years down the line, this would be an Olympic sport, something that started off as a no, hobby? No way, because of even I remember the age-old debate, is skateboarding a sport and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, I just never even thought, that wasn't where my focus was with skateboarding ever. I love competition, and I'm, I'm just obsessed with anything skateboarding. That's why I know competition so well. But if it's anything else, street skating, video parts, all that, these different things, I know that just as well. I've paid attention. I've street skated and filmed video parts myself. Like, 20 years ago, it wasn't even close to the focus. But then to think, like, you know, I made I made it to an Olympic Games off of my love for skateboarding. And I, I've had friends and family and people try to make the Olympics as athletes and stuff. So for me to go, of all the people to end up going to the Olympics <laughs> in my family, <laughs> it was me for skateboarding. So it was pretty funny to to see that. But no, never, ever did I imagine. And, and you know, even now... I don't know 100% what it's going to do, but I'm glad that the world can see it on this broader stage and maybe start to understand it. You know, when they see a kid skateboarding down the street, skating a stair set or something, maybe not jump to like Vandal or this or that. So, you know, they're just having a good time. And that's what, that's what skateboarding is, just pushing your limits and having a good time and learning to get back up. That's what I think skateboarding teaches you the most. You know, you'll fall and fall and fall, but you always get back up. So... I think it's it's much more of a positive thing than most communities have felt about it for so long, and I'm, I'm glad to be here to help be a voice for that. That was a great answer. <laughs> Can you talk about the athletes that you coached at the Olympics and how it went for them over there at the Games? Yeah, so we had Jaggery and Jake Alardi and Nigel Houston for Street, for Men's Street, Team USA, and then for Park it was Zion Wright, Himana Reynolds, and Corgino and for me, Park is a little more foreign, rather, but it's definitely something I'm, I'm still obsessed with. I'm just not as, as good as, as I was at street myself, but it was really fun to coach Corey through some pretty crazy moments, like having to adjust on the fly, and I remember being on... Because obviously, nobody's agents or managers could be at the Olympics, so I was on FaceTime with his manager, and I just thought it was a... I changed up his run in the qualifiers to get to the finals, and he was... Uh, pretty worried about it but I had to tell the manager I'm like just trust me I, I know what I'm doing which I, I who knows if I actually knew but it worked out <laughs> so but he made it he made it to the finals in that eighth spot and then he ended up going and getting the bronze in the end of it so it was really I'll tell you what it's so fun and coaching is different now it's not that you know I can't tell each athlete what's the best for them that I only can work with what they want me to work with them with so if they don't want me to help plan their stuff at all I don't and I'm just there to support and will help with any way I can but the ones who do like to strategize with me that's oh uh, that's <laughs> there's no better high than strategizing a win or something <laughs> like that's the best so and that's what I feel like I'm good at but to each their own like I'm not going to force anybody to, to plan with me if they don't want to I'm going to support them any way I can. That's awesome. I love that. Well, thank you for coming in today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really proud of the city of Chandler for everything they're doing. So uh, I'm stoked and hopefully get to stay more involved. Again, super quickly, I really want to give a huge shout out to Andrew for really spending the entire day with us who work at the city of Chandler. That morning, we also filmed with the mayor. Then he came in and recorded for this podcast. So thank you, Andrew. 
Again, this podcast is brought to you by the city of Chandler. Make sure you check back later this week for a special Veterans Day episode. If you want to tap in with our social media, you can find us on all platforms under the city of Chandler. And if you want to look up anything that was talked about today specifically, you can always go to voicesofchandler.com. And if you want to tap in with Andrew, you can always look him up on social media. On Instagram, he actually posted a lot of the stuff from the Olympics. So if you want to check it out, I suggest you follow him there. Otherwise, thanks for tuning in, everyone.